So we're going to be looking in Judges 6, and I love just going verse by verse and receiving something rich and wonderful in, uh, in the Bible. And so we're going to be in Judges 6, uh, looking at Gideon, starting at the very top, the very first verse of Judges 6, and we're looking again at how Gideon became a strong person. And, and then if he did it, then I can do it. If he did it, you can do it. And so we take these principles, because that's what we're going to find is principles in this story, extract those principles and make them applicable to our day-to-day lives. So here goes in Judges 6, the Israelites, this is the story of Gideon. And you want to let me pause here just really quick. Let's go back and see where this fits into to biblical history, to, to actual history. So remember the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. They came out. And we're in the desert for another 40 years. Joshua took them into the promised land. That's the book of Joshua. And then after Joshua died, there were judges that ruled the, uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel, the state of Israel. And uh, then after that, there were kings that ruled. But this is in the time of the judges. And one of those judges was Gideon. So that's who we're studying here this morning. So the Israelites in Judges 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil. What's evil? Well, if you sin and trip up one day and look at something that you shouldn't or uh, say something that you shouldn't or do something that you shouldn't, is that evil? Well, evil, let me tell you what. Evil is when you are you're pre, premeditated, you, you do something on a premeditated, you plan it out, you think about it, you 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 uh, ignore God's command and you go and do it anyways, and then you continue that practice day after day after day after day after that's evil. So you simply slipping up and saying something or thinking something or doing that's not evil. It's sin, but it's not evil. Evil is when you're on a path, a destructive path. And you refuse to get off that path. That's evil. And so these Israelites were doing that. In fact, they've done it for seven years. For seven years. So what did God do? He gave them over to the hand of the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were somewhat of a um, roving group of people that would go in and take over weak places. Um, I would liken it maybe a little bit to ISIS. I think that's probably the most comparable thing that we can kind of identify with. Um, ISIS was trying to create a caliphate, an area of the country that crossed over into many different borders, Syria, Iraq, uh, and and other places. And and that's kind of what these Midianites were like. So that that helps us kind of put it into perspective. And so because of the power of Midian, it was so oppressive And we're going to be talking about that word today, oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts. In other words, they left their homes. They didn't feel safe in their homes. And they ran for the hills. They found clefts and caves and strongholds. So the oppression was so strong, they couldn't stay at home. Have you ever been so oppressed that you couldn't stay at home? I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. It's so bad that you leave home. John says he acknowledges it. Yeah. All right. So there you go. The oppression is so bad that you leave home. That happened to them. Wherever the Israelites 
planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, another group, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. So every time they tried to plant something that they needed to harvest, they would get invaded. They camped on the land, these Midianites and Amalekites, they camped on the land. So can you imagine a beautiful field? You're trying to grow wheat, or you're trying to grow cotton, or you're trying to grow, maybe it's a vineyard, you're trying to grow grapes. And what would happen? They'd come and camp on top of the crop, completely destroying it. You talk about aggravating. You talk about irritating. That's what it was like. They would ruin the crops all the way to Gaza. That was a, a part of Palestine. And did not Spare, listen to this, they did not spare a living thing in Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys, and implicit in this, neither crops either. They would destroy everything. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. What you're trying to grow, the enemy wants to camp on it and completely ruin it. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So they didn't come to steal. They came just to ruin. Have you ever had somebody uh, maybe break a window in your, in your house or your car or maybe graffiti something? They don't want your thing. They just want you to have something. They want to ruin your possessions. There's nothing really more offensive than that, I think. It's like... I can't have it, so you're not going to have it either. That's what would happen to these people. Everything was ruined. In verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they finally did something about it. They cried out to the Lord for help after seven years. And I want to ask you this morning, how long is it going to take for you to cry out to the Lord? Not, I'm not saying, ask God, why have you let this happen to me? I'm not saying, that's not crying out to the Lord. Crying out to the Lord is saying, God, I need your help because I don't know how to do this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. I cry out to you. And in the Bible, over and over and over again, it it makes it very clear that when you call out to God, God answers you. Over and over and over and over again. God is waiting for you to call out to him. He's waiting for you to call out. It it proves that you trust him. It proves that you have faith. It proves that you have at least a glimmer of hope in him because you're calling out to him. But let's let's go back and try to make this, this, this scenario applicable to our lives, okay? Every time, this would be you maybe, every time you're getting over a sickness, it comes back again. That would be the same feel of this oppression. You're sick, you feel like you're getting better, and then boom, you get knocked back down again, either with another sickness or the same sickness, and you can't seem to kick the problem, the physical problem that you have. This would be you in this story. Or every time you do something right, things fall apart for you. Things fall off. You you say, God, I'm going to make a decision for you. I'm going to do the right thing. And then you get slapped in the face with a bad circumstance right after you've made a good decision. All right? That that might apply to your life so that you can read this story for yourself. Or maybe it's you finally feel like you're getting your finances in order and you're finally disciplined and you're spending wisely and boom, you get hit with an ex- a major expense that you didn't see coming and your finances fall back into shambles again. 
all right or maybe it's you've been praying for this loved one over and over again and you see a glimmer of hope that they're going to start making the right decisions but then it all falls apart again that's the oppression of the enemy in your life and in your that loved one's life that you're facing the oppression of the enemy trying to completely ruin your life What will oppression do to you? What will this type of oppression do to you? Well, you're going to be able to identify with some of these things because this is what happened to these Israelites. It will run you out of your house. (laughs) It will run you out of your house. It'll run you maybe not literally out of your house, but out of your safe haven, that place where you can always go to when things are going bad, you can go there and feel safe. Oppression will even take that away from you. All right. It'll ruin the little bit that you have. All right. It'll be like your pockets have holes in them. You put money in and your next time you reach in, it's all gone because it was taken from you. It'll make you hide and be terrified. That's what oppression will do to you. You will never seem to be able to be fruitful in whatever regard fruitful and and I could name all kinds of examples but we'll leave it at that you will be attacked over and over and over again to the extent that you just completely feel hopeless you will look and see that your enemy is multiplying instead of getting smaller or staying the same where they were in front of you before now they're over here and now they're over here and before you know it they're surrounding you but here's the good news <laughs> is what will what will oppression do to you hopefully it'll get to the place where you call out to god that's the one bit of silver lining in the oppression that comes to you all right is you hopefully will call out to the lord have you ever called out to god have you ever cried out to god out of desperation gotten down on your knees in a room where you could get loud and no, you knew that no one was going to hear you. And you said, God, I need your help. You're not complaining. You're not griping. You're desperate. You're not pointing your finger at God. You're not pointing your finger at anybody. You're just saying, God, help me. I need help. That's what calling out to the Lord looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. And it's not just one time. It's you get into that place every day and you say, I'm not going to quit calling out to you, God, until you fix this problem, Lord. I'm not going to do it. God, if it takes a week, I'm going to do it for a week. God, if it takes a month, I'm going to do it for a month. God, if it takes a year, I'm going to keep calling out to the name of the Lord until you save me because I need to be rescued from the situation. Or maybe it's someone you're praying for. It may not be for you, but you get desperate enough to say, I'm not going to quit calling out on the Lord. All right. Now, let me tell you, one thing is, you know, a spiritual attack where you get barraged for a couple of weeks and then it's over. But it's a different thing when it's years, when it's a long time. All right. When you get beat down further and further and further and further. And that's what these Israelites had experienced. So there's there's three things that we need to do when we suffer this kind of extended oppression where it just lasts for for a long time, all right, there's three things that we need to do, and I've mentioned the first one already. You need to get down on your knees. You need to call out to God. Desperately call out to God and say, God, I've got to have you. I've already mentioned, we've talked about that. Number two, 
You need to repent, listen to this, you need to repent of your idle loves, idle loves. The things that you love, all right, that has brought all of this upon you. <laughs> These things have been brought upon you. It says here, the Lord gave them over into the hands of the Midianites. Why? Because they had done evil. Now, let me tell you what, I'm not here for us to feel condemned about ourselves, but we do need to have our eyes open to the things that we might be loving that are replacing God's love in our lives. Materialism is not going to get us anywhere. Fame is not going to get us anywhere. The external adornment or the way that we look, if we're beautiful or handsome, isn't going to get us anywhere. Put all of that aside and say, God, I want to love you. I don't want to love my career. I don't want to love my education. I don't want to love my credentials. I want to love you, God. Put your idols away. I'll never forget this insight that came to me. When Moses approached that burning bush, God told him, take your sandals off. And you know what his sandals represented? All his credentials. All the things, either good or bad, that he's done. And God said, take it all off and come to me as you are. Come to me as you are, so repent of your idle loves. And then finally, those are the two things you do. The third thing God does, and listen to this, he provides supernatural deliverance. Three things that need to happen in extended oppression is you call out to God, you repent, and God delivers you. <laughs> That's it right there. Is it going to take seven years? I don't know. But you know what? You and I, we've got to hang in there calling out to God until he does his part. But repentance is going to get us a lot, a lot, get us there a lot quicker because we're turning away from the things that may have gotten us, us into this to begin with. But another observation I just want to share with you. Um, when you see someone else being oppressed, especially a son or a daughter, <laughs> a loved one, somebody that's close to you, don't jump in under their oppression with them. All right? Don't jump in empathizing with them so much that you yourself become oppressed. There's no reason for that. You need to be the lightning rod close to God, full of joy, full of faith, full of hope. And don't get in under that same oppression. Stay under the joy of God and keep giving them what they need. The hope, the love, the faith. You need to stay energized. So just because someone, your, your loved one has been laying there sick forever or addicted forever or faithless forever doesn't mean that you need to undergo the same level of oppression they're going. Don't go under with them, all right? God wants to, you, to use you to help them, and so you need to stay strengthened and encouraged. But let's continue on with this, this, this story here. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, must have been all of them. People must have been talking to each other. Guys, we got to get, God's got to help us. And people started calling out to God. God sent them a prophet. What's a prophet? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. This prophet said, this is what the Lord God, the God of Israel says. That's what a prophet is. A prophet hears from God and speaks God's word. In some respect, in some respect, all Christians should be prophets in all respects. Why? Because every Christian should be able to hear God's voice and every Christian should be able to speak the word of God. So in some respects, and we may not have the gift of prophecy per, per se, but we should be mouthpieces of God in this world. 
mouthpieces of God. And that's what this prophet said. He said, this is what the Lord says, and he said it. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You think this oppression, seven-year oppression was bad? God brought you out of 400 years of oppression. All right? He brought you. I rescued you, says the Lord. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Now he's talking about the Canaanites. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Listen to this. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. God's telling me, telling me, he's telling you, all of us, let me be your God. Can I please be your God? I created you. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you eternity with me. Can I please be your God? Would you please stop loving other gods, other idols? You know what's a clear indication of idolatry? Worry. Clear indication. If, if, if I were a doctor and you were my patient and I said, are you worried? I could immediately diagnose you. There's idolatry in your life. Worry. Worry absolutely indicates it because it shows that we're hanging on to something that's more important than God. As soon as we let go of that, the worry goes and God is center and front stage in our lives. We have to let go of those things that we treasure so much. All right? And so, um, let's see. God allows oppression to come into our lives because of our idolatry. <laughs> and in, in small doses, this isn't always the case, but in small doses, in Hebrews 12, 7, it says, endure hardship as God's discipline. Now, I was talking to somebody on the phone this week, and they said, I think God is punishing me. They were going through a lot. I think God is punishing me because blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you what. God isn't punishing us at this stage. He's only disciplining us. And there is a difference. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment has to do with it's the end, it's over, you're going to be punished, eternal punishment. But discipline is the kind, loving interaction of a father helping his son or his daughter grow up. Grow up. God wants you and me to grow up, and so he disciplines us. And the Bible says, hey, every time there's hardship in your life, go ahead and just let's call it discipline because I'm trying to teach you something. So whatever you're going through, whether it's a short period of oppression or a long period of oppression, I want to ask you something. Are you learning something? Are you learning what God's trying to teach you? Do you know what God's trying to teach you? Have you asked God, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this difficult time in my life? Because he's trying to tell you something. He's trying to show you something. Now, I, I always try, I, you know, as a, as a father, I don't want my kids to go through some of the things that I went through. And so I try to teach them, hey, look, I did this and this is what happened. And, you know, you might want to avoid this and try to do this instead of that and, and teach them and train them. And there's, there's good in that. But nothing teaches us better than experience. Nothing in the world teaches us better than experience. I could tell when they were little, don't touch the oven, it's hot. But until somebody touched it and learned that it was hot, they will never touch that oven again ever in their whole life, at least not on purpose. All right. Experience is the best teacher, and God knows that. 
God knows that. And so he lets experience hardship teach us so that we'll never, ever do that thing again. We'll get rid of that idol forever and say, I don't want that. I used to want it. Now I don't want it because experience has taught me what it does to me. Does that make sense? All right, so what evil had the Israelites done? Well, they had gone after other, they'd worshiped other gods. And let me tell you, speaking of Psalms 91, uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Most High God, and it protects us. If you're under God or in God or in God's arms, the Bible says nothing can harm you. You are protected. So why do you say, why does this happen to me? Then if I'm, are you really in God's arms? Or have you wandered off from him? Maybe not all the way off, but have you wandered off because of your love for this thing or that thing and gotten out from under his shadow and now you're in harm's way? Could that be a possibility? Is that something we should consider when we're faced with difficult times? Have I wandered away from God? The Bible says that, uh, as the Apostle Paul, he said, someone had wandered off and pierced himself with many griefs. Pierced himself with many griefs. Let me tell you what. There's some suffering that we'll always have to face because it's just part of life. It's God, part of the disciplining process that we go through. But you know what? There's some suffering you don't even need to worry about. You know what? If I'm sexually pure, I don't have to worry about STDs or anything. I don't have to go through that suffering because I didn't go down that path. Isn't that wonderful? All right? And if I decide to turn off the TV and not lust after a woman, turn that channel and turn it off, I don't have to worry about guilt and condemnation because I didn't do it. Isn't that wonderful? So many of the griefs and trials that we put ourselves through, we do exactly that. We put ourselves through. Don't wander away from God and you will be protected. Nothing will harm you. Isn't that comforting? That puts some level of control in your hands. You're empowered to stay protected under the shadow of the Most High God. So these, these Israelites, seven years, they not only wandered away from his protection by going after idols, they didn't pay attention to God. It says, you didn't listen to me. Are you listening to God? Are you listening to God? Because if you're listening to God, you're going to be a very strong person. Very, very strong person. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Your faith is going to be strong. If your faith is strong, you are going to be strong. You're going to be strong. So the first step of emancipation, of being pulled out from under oppression into the wondrous light of God, all right, is simply hearing God's word. Hearing God's word. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's jump into Gideon here. I'm going to go ahead and keep on with this story in verse 11. I'm skipping a couple of things because, not because of time, but I think we're on a good course, so I don't want to get off on a tangent. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord, so this prophet comes, speaks to all of Israel, gives a message, but now we're into the story of Gideon himself. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, that belonged to Joash the Ebiz, um, Ebiz, Ebizrite, <laughs> 
where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So a wine press, I think, was basically a somewhat of a hole in the ground that they'd probably put some sort of concrete-like material in, and they poured the grapes in, and they crushed the grapes to, to make grape juice or wine. So it was in that hole in the ground that he was threshing wheat. Now, threshing wheat, I think, entails kind of throwing it up in the air, the wind catch, catching the the chaff or the chaff, and then the, the, the seed fall into the ground. That would have been really hard to do this in a wine press. You know, there's not a whole lot of room. And so he's probably kind of going like this. And it was very inconvenient to be doing it this way. But he was trying to keep it secret because of the oppression of these these Midianites. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he said, the, the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> Here's this guy and he's trying to hide and do wheat and he's called a mighty warrior. <laughs> Again, question is how did Gideon become strong here's a couple of first first things this encounter with God was the start of Gideon becoming a strong man a strong man of God not just a strong man but a strong man of God this encounter with God have you ever had an encounter with God what is an encounter with God <laughs> an encounter of, with God is when you meet the Lord. You meet the Lord. You meet the Lord maybe when you're reading your Bible and a scripture pops out at you and you take hold of it. That's an encounter with God. An encounter with God is when we come up to these altars and we start praying, you start seeking God and you come into the presence of God Almighty and you have an encounter with God. You have a run-in with God, if you will. An encounter with God is whenever you're talking to another Christian and you start talking about the things of God and the Bible says, "I'm the, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there with them in their presence, in their midst. You have an encounter with God. Amen? So whether it's prayer, whether it's studying the Bible, whether it's interactions with other fellow Christians, you have an encounter with God. Let me tell you what, it's life-changing. It's life-changing, and it will make you a stronger person. So the question is then, how can I have this encounter with God? Well, I've mentioned you can read your Bible and come to church. You need to position yourself to have an encounter with God. You need to get in his way so that when he's walking by, you run into him or he runs into you. That's what you need to do. Is that going to be happening if you come to church once a month? No, it's not going to happen. Not as likely. Now, God's sovereign. He'll run, run into you anyways, maybe. But if you want encounter after encounter after encounter with God, you need to position yourself to have that encounter. Be prepared. And so, let me mention, I've already kind of mentioned, I'm kind of rehashing this, but I will rehash this year after year because it's the secret to getting close to God. You and I, we need to get around godly people. Let me ask you, how much of your time was spent this week with godly people? I have a job, so I have to deal with ungodly people every day, all day long. But what am I doing to make sure that I'm having time with godly people? All right? If you're hanging out, if your best friend is a non-Christian, you're not positioning yourself to have an encounter with God. You just aren't. It's, not, it's a lot less likely to happen. And, and I will say this, you need to kick some of those people off your bus. 
we talked about this energy bus concept, but you need to kick bad people off your bus. If they're not bringing you up and you're always the one bringing them up, kick them off your bus and don't let them back on until you see that their life has turned around. Let me tell you what, you're not going to change anybody's life. God's going to change their life. Amen? Now, we come into contact with ungodly folks, and, and praise God, I enjoy, I enjoy uh, being a minister, ministering to ungodly people, but they are not my best friends. <laughs> they aren't my best friends. They are my friends. Jesus was a friend to sinners, but they're not my best friends. I'm going to surround myself with godly people who bring me up, and I can bring them up. Amen. That's for someone, someone, some here, to, someone today. You need to read your Bible every day, but don't just read it most every day. Think about what you read throughout the day. Put it into practice throughout the day. That's the life-changing thing. Reading, thinking on it, and acting on it. And then, listen to this. Here's an interesting concept. Pray in God. Don't pray to God. Pray in God. And I'm really, really practicing this. I'm realizing, you know what? God is over me because I've come into the secret place of the Most High. I'm under the shadow of the, of the Almighty God. I am praying in God according to His will. All right? For too long, I prayed to God as a distant entity or even as a close entity. But you know what? I'm in it. The Bible says I'm in Christ. So I need to start praying as if I'm in Christ and praying with God instead of praying to God. And then I need to ask myself every day, you know what? What one thing am I going to do today to make God happy? And that is going to be my priority. I've mentioned this on Wednesday nights. Uh, it wasn't until early part of the 20th century that priority became began to be able to be called priorities, or the plural became into existence. Before, just in recent history, there's no such a word as priorities. There was only a word priority. You could only have one. That was it. God needs to be our priority, and there's no other priorities. Just God. Because when you put God first, everything else falls into place falls into line you put God first everything falls into line so every day I'm, I'm waking up and I'm saying God what can I do to get your attention today I'm not trying to get anybody else's attention or and Lord what can I do to make you happy today just tell me and I I'm going to do something to make you happy today let me tell you, you start living that way you start living that way, you're going to be positioning yourself for an encounter with Jesus. And as a result, you will be a strong person. I'm going to stop there. Um, this may end up going three Sundays for all I know. In fact, it probably will because I'm not even halfway through the first half. <laughs> so we're going to stop there because I, I, like, I like stopping and thinking about this stuff. We need to ponder this stuff. We need to put this stuff into practice. It's going to make us stronger on the inside.